Blog Talk Radio. Did you know that elders and others are losing their rights to liberty and property? Anyone can petition a court to have a person deemed incapacitated. What if that person is you? The adult guardianship system was created to protect incompetent people and their assets. A court-appointed guardian, sometimes a total stranger, can force you into a nursing home and sell your home to pay for services. Treasured belongings can disappear as you are drugged and isolated from loved ones. Why does this happen? Unfortunately, the courts don't have the funding to supervise and audit cases. A guardian makes all decisions decisions on your behalf, taking control of your assets with little accountability. The potential for abuse is frightening. Luckily, not all guardians exploit those under their care, but when they do, there's really nowhere to go for help. The National Association to Stop Guardian Abuse, NASGA, is working to reform adult guardianship to return it to its once noble purpose of protecting the human rights to life, liberty, and property and ending financial exploitation of assets. Are you or your loved ones protected? To learn more, visit StopGuardianAbuse.org. Good evening, everyone. This is Marty Oakley, and I just got a notice up here on the clock on Blog Talk. The uh, show was stalled. It looks like about seven minutes. So there's going to be a seven-minute lag or thereabouts um, when we could have been on there, but it was showing us as waiting. We're here nonetheless. And uh, we've we've got a show tonight that is, is just so tragic, I can't even believe it. Uh, this goes right along with what Kaz and I talk about every week, but this time it involves a child and guardianship and the usual suspects and an eventual death. As a reminder, all these shows are brought to you in coordination with Marcel Reed and the Whistleblower Summit, where Kaz and I have a panel each year, and we'll, I think, maybe need to work this into this year's speech. But with that said, Kaz, welcome to the show. Thank you, Marty. Thank you for having us. Yes. Yeah. Uh, this was was a story you came across, and um, this this upsets me terribly. And I know as a mother, it does mm-hmm. you also. And yeah. uh, just the thought of it, you know, just the thought of it. And then to find out that the family courts were involved, guardian involved, and nothing mm-hmm. was done to get justice for this child. Nothing. And the only person that's been fighting for him has been his mother. So I'm going to let you bring her on, cause and uh, lead us into the show, and we'll pick it up from there. All right. Well, I'm excited to introduce Kara Witowski. And Kara, say hello. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for having me. And Kara and I, I found 
I found Kara, and I, I think it was a little over a year ago. I have been following your story, Kara, on Facebook. And Kara is lives in Elgin, Illinois, and I'm here in Wisconsin. And I believe it was a newspaper article that had me find you. I can't remember all the details, but I've definitely been following the story. I've been horrified for a long time when you did your protest and you did Facebook Live. I was there live with you and just ruining you on. And I've just been so at everything that you're doing to fight for justice. And everyone should know that there is it's Justice for James. Is that the Facebook group? Is that what it's called yes, if it, they want to find it? Yes, Justice okay. for James is our Facebook group. And we talk all about uh, guardianship regarding children and the family court system and how it is easily corrupted. Would you like to start from the beginning and just let a lot of people who are listening, they have no idea how a child gets in guardianship. Everyone is so used to seeing it, you know, older adults are disabled and, and uh, James is neither of those things. If you would like to let everyone know, how did this all start? Sure, of course. Um, So I was in a pretty abusive and tumultuous relationship for about five years, and within that time, it, prog- it progressively got worse and worse. Um, my abuser and ex, that is the father of both of my children, he sexually assaulted me on March 19th of 2019. This was the second time he had sexually assaulted me. He had also so- sexually assaulted me the previous um, year in August, and he had told me he had experienced a disassociative state and that he had multiple personality disorder, he had narcissistic personality disorder, he had a lot of issues that he wanted to get help for. And basically what I told him was like, I don't want to separate, I don't want a divorced home, I don't want to have those kind of problems, but I cannot be with you anymore. So I don't want to be with you, but I can raise the kids with you as long as you agree to therapy. So he told me that he was getting therapy, even took me to, to the therapist, so I thought it was all legit and everything. And it turned out that he actually wasn't getting any therapy, which I found out later on. So on March nineteenth, um, when yeah, so on March nineteenth, when he had sexually assaulted me yet again and threatened to, um, he threatened to kill me. And this was not the first time that he had threatened to kill me. I finally decided that I needed to take a stand here and make sure that I got myself and my children away from this, this person who was violently assaulting me and threatening my life. You know, he had literally stated that he wanted to throw me down the flight of our stairs, that he wanted to lock me in the attic, uh, that he knew how to get rid of fingerprints and DNA evidence. He was saying some pretty horrifying and terrifying things to me. And at that point, I knew that I just had to get out or something was going to happen to me or something was going to happen to my kids, and I was terrified. So basically what happened was um, I had made these plans to leave, and he was stalking my email, which I did not know about, and he was reading through my phone, which I did not know about, and he showed up at my, um, my place of employment. And when he showed up at my place of employment, he said, how could you do the one thing that would make me kill myself? And I got really nervous, and I was like, what are you talking about? And he's like, you know what I'm talking about. And I basically, I screamed at him. I go, you keep raping and threatening to kill me. What else am I supposed to do? And 
he started freaking out and he said if, you know, he was going, that he wouldn't be the one, only one going threatening me and my children. So my boss told him to leave. And uh, at first he wouldn't leave. Then her husband came up behind him and then he decided that he would leave. So then when he left, he decides to call me and I go to the bathroom to take his phone call. And he tells me that uh, now that we were officially over, he could tell me the truth. And I was like, the truth about what? And he told me that he made up having the multiple personality disorder and that he was doing it just so that he could keep sexually assaulting me. And at that point, all what? my sympathy, all my, uh, all my sympathy, all my empathy, everything went out the window for him because the whole reason I had any sympathy or empathy for him in the first place was because he claimed to be a survivor of sexual assault when he was a child, which I also have experienced. So I had a lot of empathy for him due to that. So I went to the police. And um, I literally had text messages from this man admitting multiple times, five different times to raping me. I had text messages of him admitting to having blackouts. I had text messages of him admitting to having antisocial personality disorder, multiple personality disorder, narcissistic personality disorder, and actually admitted to almost beating a child to death. So I had all this evidence. They put him into custody Um, they actually had him sit in jail as far as what I've been told. And then they gave me my car back. Now I don't have a license. The whole reason the car was purchased was for him and the kids and for our safety and well-being. So he was the driver and I had the credit to get the car, but the car was in my name. So when he was in custody, they gave me the car back. Well, he had left a hard drive in the car. So when the car was all cleaned out, the hard drive was found. So at that point, I was told that I needed to get a restraining order against him and that they had given me the paperwork to go ahead and get a restraining order. They didn't tell me if he was going to be charged or not. They just said that it was going to be reviewed with the state's attorney. So the next day, I get a message from his best friend, not a detective, not anyone of any real importance, telling me that he's been released from jail and he's coming back to the house. And I started freaking out, and I called the detective. I'm like, how could you do this? How could nobody notify me? What is going on? And she basically tells me, and she goes, well, he said he wasn't going to come back to the house, and he said he wasn't going to hurt you, so we let him go. And I'm just thinking to myself, and and you believed him? And by the way, that detective is Katie Phillips of the Elgin Police Department. So anyways, um, so come, we're going to fast forward to – that let's see what was it march 25th i want to say because this all happened march 23rd was when i went in or it was either march 22nd or march 23rd and it was during the weekend so i had to wait all the way until monday to get an order of protection so i went in i got the emergency order of protection it was granted immediately in fact the judge his name was peterson said he was afraid that if he didn't grant me this order of protection of what would happen to me and that's when wow. I was the first, like, what is going on here? This is very bizarre. Everything, like, it all just stunk, and it was very weird to me. So anyway, so he grants the emergency order protection, which includes my children. I'm with myself and my children. Everything is going fine. There's no issues whatsoever. Um, I was with two roommates at the time who were helping me because of finances and everything. With somebody moving out of the house, it was hard 
to, you know, be able to with my finances. So I had to have people that I already knew move in with me. So when the hard drive was found, we had um, put the hard drive on my friend's computer to see what was in it because we were curious. So the stuff that I saw was animated pornography of children and adults being sexual with one another and children and children being sexual with one another. And they were depicted about four or five years old. And we are talking very X-rated stuff. There was oral, three-ways, anal, like disgusting stuff with kids doing this stuff to each other. And I was sickened. Oh, my and God. completely appalled. And I called up the detective right away and told her what I found. And I go, and we'll even bring the computer in, too, like, so you, you, you can see everything. And she's like, oh, no, I don't want the computer. It's like, okay, fine. Do you want the, the hard drive? And she's what? like, yes, I want the hard drive. So I brought in the hard drive yeah, Kira, to her. Kira, wait, wait. At any other situation, had you found something like this, the first thing they would have told you is, don't touch it. We'll come get it. This is evidence. Don't touch anything. And and she's telling well, you she they don't want it? Well, she told me to bring it? in the hard drive. Well, no, she told me to bring Which in the hard drive. Which means that it can't be used. Yeah, but see, that means it can't be used in court. It's tainted evidence. Well, I didn't know that, and I wasn't told I, that. Yeah. Yeah. So oh, I yeah, brought man. in the oh, I, yeah. I brought in the hard drive, and I told I explained to her what I saw that this was animated, that these were cartoons, but even though they were cartoons, it was severely disturbing. And I just I just gave it to her. I was like, you know what? I don't know what else is on this. I don't want to know. Here you go, basically, kind of thing. So I went in on April 11th to court for the order of protection to be finalized because you have an emergency and then you have either um, like a month or a plenary, which is two-year, or so on and so forth. The evidence was presented where he admitted to raping me. The evidence was um, also presented where he admitted to being a danger to his own children because he actually said he was a risk to his kids. So that was all presented, and the judge granted the two-year order of protection. Now, that judge was Judge Dalton. So at that point, order of protection was granted. Everything was done. My lawyer pretty much thought that this was all over with, was already giving me child support information to fill out. So he then, his lawyer, um, requests for it to be um, consolidated into a custody case, saying that he hasn't seen his children in almost a month and he wants to see his kids. So my lawyer tells me that they'll most likely do supervised visits because that's what happens when there's an order of protection, especially to this magnitude. So I'm at work, and she tells me that she's going to go in on my behalf to finalize the, um, the supervision uh, with the, um, the visitation. So she calls me, and she's like, I'm so sorry. Like, what are you talking about? She goes, they're not doing supervised visits. He has the kids six hours a day four days a week. And my mind was just blown. I was like, what? How can this possibly be happening? And she said, I'm so sorry. I don't understand it. I don't know what's going on. This is not typical at all. So at this point, um, my, my children have their first visitation and my, my daughter, uh, she comes home from the visitation and she's saying a lot of things of, um, of a sexual nature, she had bruising on her, and I contacted our babysitter, 
And I said, you know, what should I do here? You know, I'm in the middle of a custody case. You know, my daughter's saying some things that are concerning. Um, her, her private area is extremely red and irritated, which could be, uh, you know, a UTI, yeast infection, whatever it may be. But it looks very red and very irritated. And she has bruising on her buttocks. She's got some bruising on her, um, what was it? She had like little scratches on her legs. So she told me the best thing to do would go to the police department and make a police report. So I made a police report, and they decided, based upon the pictures of what I was showing them and the, the bruising, as well as the fact that the father had the, the child pornography and the fact that there was the sexual assault done to me, that they wanted me to take her to the hospital. So I took her to the hospital, and um, at the hospital they told me that they weren't overly concerned. They saw a contusion. They wrote down domestic concerns and contusion. But that, that, that was it, and they weren't really going to go any further with it. So I said, okay, um, I understand. It was 4 o'clock in the morning, and I was ready to take you know, my daughter home. So fast forward, we go back into court. A guardian is appointed. Her name was Julie Pertle. Julie Pertle was aware of the two-year order of protection. Julie Pertle was aware of him admitting to raping me on five different occasions. Not that he raped me five different times. He raped me twice, but it was five times he admitted to it. So she was aware of all this. She was aware of the, uh, the child pornography investigation that was going on, which at that time, again, all that was known to me was that there were animated images because that's all that I saw. So we're, you know, in court, and this is all going on, and then my attorney wanted to do an emergency motion, which she let Pirtle know due to the hospital, the bruises, all these different investigations, and basically make it so that um, my ex had to have supervised visitation. So this was presented in front of the judge. And many of the concerns regarding my daughter were about her grandfather because that was the person my daughter kept saying was being inappropriate with her. So the judge basically says, okay, the, the child can no longer be around the grandfather. Well, my ex's attorney pipes up and says, well, dad lives with grandpa. So at which point the judge, Judge John G. Dalton, says, okay, well, then uh, he can just go into another room. So that was what they decided would be the best course of action is for him to just go into another room, but she could still live with someone who she is outcrying is abusing her. There's even a video of her outcrying abu- that he is abusing her. So I talked to my attorney. I was like, what can I do about this? This is absolutely awful. She goes, we, there's nothing we can do. You just got to stop. And she basically was te- telling me that we have to wait until the um, evidentiary hearing on the 2nd. So I believe that was the 2nd of May. I'm sorry if I have my, my timeline a little mixed up here. So we go to the evidentiary hearing. Julie Pearl has already came to my house with no problem. My house was perfect. She didn't find anything wrong with it. In fact, she said, how do you manage to keep your house so clean with having two kids? Uh, She talked to my roommates. My roommates expressed same concerns regarding my daughter, about her behavior and how odd it was. Um, she, She tried to talk to my daughter alone in a corner, and I overheard her. And my daughter said, I love my mommy. And Julie just looked down at her and said, I know you do. And then she gave her a stuffed animal. And so she talked to pretty much all the different witnesses, my mother, everyone, 
And by talking to every person, um, she also talked to Tom and his family. And then she decided to talk to my therapist uh, because I have PTSD, so she wanted to talk to my therapist. So at, at that time, during the evidentiary hearing, my past abuse from my abuser through childhood was brought up and talked about. Now, this was never a concern because my daughter was never around my abuser. And it was known to the court and to Julie that this was something that happened to me already because it came up in the order of protection hearing. They didn't talk at all about Sasha's grandfather. They didn't talk at all about any of the evidence from the hospital. They didn't talk at all about the rape or the child pornography. Their entire focus was on my abuser. And this was the guardian litem. And they actually wanted to have this hearing in chambers. This was an evidentiary hearing, and they wanted to have it in chambers. My attorney, Melissa Cuffel, insisted that it be out of chambers because she wanted me to see what was actually going on and how this guardian was talking about me and what she was saying and what she was doing. Now, at this point, I became infuriated because my ex, which is my daughter's father, is talking about how she is being sexual, how she is displaying sexual behavior. So it's not just me now saying this, it's him as well, and talking about my daughter acting like a cat and being sexual while she's doing it, and other things of sexual nature. And all this guardian litem is talking about is my previous abuse as a child. I became infuriated. I said, this is absolutely ridiculous. I walked out of the courtroom. My attorney, she's like, I'm glad, you know, now you see what's going on. I was like, yes, I see what's going on. And she was asking me if she could withdraw from the case. She goes, this judge is not listening to anything I'm saying. He's not letting me present any evidence I want out of this case. She was literally begging me to withdraw. I said, no attorney is worse than having an attorney. So I need you to say my attorney. So she then contacts me later on, and she sends me this bill saying that she is not going to continue to work for me unless I pay her $1,000 a month. She knows that I'm a CNA. She knows that I have two kids I'm taking care of primarily, that at that time I had majority custody, and that you know he had no overnights at all at that time. It was just eight hours a day, four days a week. So she knows all this, and she thinks I can afford $1,000 a month. So I tell her, I'm like, well, I have no choice, and I absolutely cannot afford that. So she sends me withdrawal papers. So then May 15th, the only thing that was supposed to be done is a withdrawal. I was at work. I was told the only thing that was to be done was a withdrawal. Julie Pirtle, guardian litem, goes behind my back in front of Judge Dalton and says that there is an emergency motion needed to take my children out of my custody due to the PTSD that they already knew about. Everyone already knew about it for months. The judge knew about it. She knew about it. It was known that I was in therapy. It was known that I was being treated for it. It was known that I was not a danger to myself or my children. And still, she used this to take my kids away. And because I was not present and I was not notified and I didn't have an attorney, of course the kids were taken away. 
because I was not able to defend myself. My attorney withdrew on that date, and then they went and did this motion. Wow. I, yes. And this was the guardian ad litem. Now, it's also important to note that the guardian ad litem is no longer a GAL in King County. She's been completely dropped from the GAL list. And Judge Dalton is no longer a family court judge. He has been demoted to an arbitrary court judge who just does, um, like, traffic, evictions, and name changes. So anyways, we fast forward a bit. So they take my kids. My kids are now in a rapist custody, an admitted rapist custody of his own, you know, admission. And they still don't know what's going on with the child pornography. Um, I am now mandated to see a therapist, even though I was already seeing a therapist. So I decide, okay, if you're going to make me and force me to see a therapist, I'll see a therapist through the Elgin Police Department who specializes in domestic violence and who's free for me because I have a domestic violence case. So I started seeing her, and she was very troubled. She tells me, there's something really wrong with your guardian litem. I was like, what are you talking about? She goes, your guardian litem called me, and she was trying to convince me that you would murder your kids because of how much she hated Tom, because of how much you hated Tom, sorry. And I said, what? She, she goes, I don't know if there's a personal relationship or what's going on there, but she spent about an hour trying to convince me that you would murder your kids, and I asked her for evidence, and she couldn't present a single thing. So she actually wrote up a letter of the whole conversation that they had because she was just so appalled. So both of my kids were coming home with bruises because I had visitation at that point like three days a week with a court-appointed supervisor. The court-appointed supervisor they chose, well, I'm sorry, Julie Pirtle chose, was my best friend who had a child of her own who wasn't even present at court. So they just forced her to be a court-appointed supervisor without even getting her approval or her schedule, or knowing if she could even do it. So during Yeah, it was extremely bizarre. So let's fast forward to, say, July. So I'm speaking with my, my therapist, and my therapist has access to the records of the child pornography case because she's through the Elgin Police Department. And she said, you need to FOIA that record. I said, why? She goes... I'm going to read it to you. She read me the record. There wasn't just animated kids on that hard drive. There were over 700 prepubescent children on Tom's hard drive that were identified or recognized by the Missing and Exploited Children, National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Now, most of these kids were just in their underwear. There were three nude images, three fully nude images that he could have been charged for that he was never charged for. And his only defense was that somebody else had his hard drive and was downloading the images. That was his only defense for that. So I FOIA'd the report and I got the report and I posted that that report all over and online to show people what is going on. I have shown the admitted rapes I have shown the child pornography. I have shown and documented all my evidence because if I did not, nobody would believe me because this case is even insane to me. So so we're at July. So we'll fast forward to August. I get a message at work 
that James is in the hospital. That's my son. This was why I'm saying his name because he has now passed. That James is in the hospital for a prolapsed rectum. That he has been in the hospital since uh, August 2nd, and it was now August 4th that I was contacted. So he was already there for two days. And at first I'm thinking, okay, well, you know, the prolapsed rectum, maybe, you know, was, he was constipated, or maybe they started potty training with him. I wasn't thinking anything severe. And the first thing his father says to me is, oh, it's not abuse. It's not sexual abuse. It's nothing like that. And that wasn't even in my head. So I'm like, uh, okay. And so I call up the nurse, and I, I ask to talk to her about what's going on with my son. And she goes, the, you know, his rectum has prolapsed five times today. They can't get it to stay in. And he's going to have to be hospitalized another night. So it's now been three and a half days, and I asked to come see my son because at that point I had no medical rights. I didn't have anything. And I was told I could go see my son, and I was contacting Julie Pirtle almost every day asking about my son, and she wouldn't respond to most of my emails. Finally, I called her, and she's like, okay, yes, you can go see your son. So I'm on my way to see my son with my boss at the St. Alexius Hospital, and we get a message from Tom, my ex, that I have to have my court-appointed supervisor with me to go see my son. Um, My court-appointed supervisor wasn't available. So I'm like, you know what? I'm coming. I don't care. I'm coming. I'm seeing my son. That's it. So me and my boss go, and they literally have the pediatric administrator of the St. Alexius Hospital supervise me with my child because of what Julie Pirtle was telling the hospital, which I don't know what she was telling the hospital. Given that she was telling my therapist that I would murder my kids, I'm assuming probably the same thing because she was actively messing with criminal investigations. She was actively messing with DCFS investigations, and now she was actually actively messing with what was going on with the medical care of my son. So I go to the hospital. My son is taped up. His buttocks is completely taped up. And the nurse tells me he's prolapsed again three more times and that he's ha- going to have to stay overnight. And they go, the, the father's requested that you speak with the social worker. So I speak with the social worker, and I'm like, have you contacted DCFS? He's now been in here for about four days. And she goes, no, I don't see a reason to contact DCFS. I go, well, I spoke with the nurse, and I've, I've seen the doctor's report, and a prolapse this bad would have had to have been months and months of constipation. Like it doesn't just happen from constipation for a couple days or whatnot. So he would have had to have been constipated for months on end, which is neglect, which is a reason to contact DCFS. And she says, well, you don't tell me how to do my job. So I just walked away at that point. So I go into the car um, with my boss, and my boss contacts DCFS because I told her I don't want to contact DCFS. DCFS has been absolutely no help, and if they're not going to contact DCFS, fine, I'm not going to contact DCFS because DCFS, again, no help. They were awful um, because of the uh, family court orders. They just take the family court orders and they roll with it. They don't do their own thing. They don't do their own investigation, and they talk to Julie Pirtle. So who's already telling them, oh, mom's crazy, mom's got psychiatric issues, blah, 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 and is controlling the narrative. 
So my boss contacts DCFS, tells DCFS what's going on, uh, and that James is in the hospital. Now, James was supposed to stay overnight. All of a sudden, I get a message that James is being taken out of the hospital, but they haven't fixed his prolapsed rectum, that the rectum is still prolapsing. They just taught Tom how to put it back into place. They taught somebody who had a hard drive full of child porn how to stick my son's rectum back into place. And the social worker was already aware of all this. And Julie Pirtle was aware of all this. So I got my children the next day for a visitation. I'm changing my son. My daughter won't stop holding my son's hand while I'm changing him, which she's never done before. My son's rectum is literally, I'm sorry, his, 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 like, his butthole is literally pulsating. And I'm looking at this just completely shocked at what's going on here because it looked like he was about to prolapse again. And my daughter says she has to go to the bathroom. And this was with my court-appointed supervisor. So um, we go to the bathroom with my daughter, and my daughter goes, someone hurt James. Like, what do you mean someone hurt James? She goes, Grandpa put a toothbrush in James' butt. And I said, what? She goes, Grandpa put a toothbrush in James' butt and told me to pull it out. And I'm just – and then she goes, she goes, I tried – what did she say – I tried to carry him off the bed. He was screaming and crying, but Grandpa pushed him down. And she had said this to me, like you would just tell someone, oh, I ate breakfast today, or, oh, I just rode my bike today. She had no emotion, and she just said it so blankly. And then she stared off into space, and both me and my court-appointed supervisor heard it. So my court-appointed supervisor automatically messages Julie Pirtle, letting her know what's going on. Julie Pirtle has had bruises on both Sasha and James, or sorry, both my daughter and James, she has had all sorts of evidence leading up, and she knows everything that is going on. And she also is now receiving this email with my my daughter's allegation of her grandfather yet again. And these were consecutive allegations just regarding grandpa. She never really mentioned anyone else other than her grandpa. And she talked a little bit about daddy hitting James. But everything that was sexual was always grandpa. So DCFS called me. This woman's name was Karen Johnson Wren. And she goes, there's a DCFS investigation going on. Is there anything you would like to add to it? And I told her the allegation that my daughter had said to, um, that had said to me and my court-appointed supervisor. So uh, Tom had to pick up the kids. We take them to the spot where he picks them up. So he picked up the kids, and then he messages me on Our Family Wizard, which was the app we were communicating on, and tells me that both of my children are going into DCFS custody, that I can't know where my kids are, that he can't know where the kids are, and that I just have to deal with it, and it was all my fault because I kept making allegations against him or whatnot. So come to find out much later on, that there were actually two weeks straight of rectal prolapses of my son. This was when I was finally granted medical records from Judge Cruz. Uh, But that was after my son had passed. So let me back up a little bit. So this all happens, and it's known to the court about his rectal prolapses and his issues. And Judge Dalton decides that it is best for me not to even have visits with my kids anymore. He takes away visits from me 
and says the only way he would be willing to let me see my kids is in a supervised office with government people that uh, is through like a park district or something. And I was like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do this because there's absolutely no reason for you to take my rights away without an evidentiary hearing and for you to say I can't see my children when I've never been accused of anything, I've never been founded on anything, and I'm not a danger to myself or my children. And Julie Pirtle presented her GAL report, which is why Dalton ruled this way. And her report basically said that I and my, my family, my friends, and everyone was convincing both of my kids. Now, remember, my son wasn't even two at that point, that they were being molested and that I was on a campaign to ruin Tom's life because of how much I hated him. And she admits in the report to his child pornography. She admits in the report to his admissions of rape. She admits that he never wanted either one of the kids. She admitted that he hasn't been able to hold any stable employment, that he dropped out of college and everything else. But then she goes on to talk about how I'm hostile with uh, law enforcement and DCFS workers and how I um, have PTSD and I'm incapable of raising my kids due to all this, even though I was the breadwinner the entire time and was even taking my son to work with me. So based upon that, Dalton says, okay, she can't see her kids anymore, period. So I wasn't seeing my children at all, and this was, okay, so this started August, September. So it started around September. So I hadn't seen them from September to October. October, I get a, uh, a call from the hospital while I'm at work taking care of one of my clients saying, I need to get out of work right now and I need to come to the hospital. And my mind's already racing because the only reason I was allowed to go to the hospital last time was because I had someone watching me. They're telling me I don't even need somebody watching me. I was like, what do you mean? What are you talking about? And they go, James is very sick. You need to get here. So I get there, and I took a a lift to get there, and I'm greeted by one of the hospital personnel, and I'm just like, where is my son? What is going on? And she leads me into this room, and it's just a slab. It's just a table. And I'm like, where is my son? And the doctor comes out, and he just has this look of sadness on his face. He's like, I'm sorry he didn't make it. And I'm just like, what? What do you mean he didn't make it? How could this, what are you talking about? And I'm just, I was just, I, I didn't even know what to think at that point. I, I was screaming in my head. I was, I was crying. I was just, I couldn't believe it. I, I couldn't believe what they were telling me. It, it was not registering at all. I was like, I want to see my son. I want to see my son. And you know, I'm like, what happened? What happened? They're just like, we don't know. We don't know what happened. I was like, how could you not know what happened? And the only thing they were willing to tell me at that point was that the step-grandmother found him on the bed with his lips blue. And that's all they were willing to tell me. And supposedly that he was given cough medicine, which now is being said he was never given cough medicine. So they bring my son out to me, and his lips were blue, and his stomach was real red, and looked like it had, like, like slap marks on it. 
which I asked the um, nurse about, and she said, like, that was just the rigor mortis, and that's just what happens to a dead body. Um, now, I've seen dead bodies before because I'm a CNA, and I work for private clients, and I haven't seen anything like that, but perhaps it's different than a, in a child. I don't know. But they gave me my son, and I was holding my son, and he, he was stiff, and he was cold, and I, I, couldn't, I couldn't even breathe. I, I, I just I couldn't even think at that moment, and I, was, I just was holding him, and it just nothing felt real at that moment. And the cops came by, and I kept asking the cops what happened, and then I just I started yelling at them. I'm like, how could you let this happen? You all knew what was going on in this house. Because so the cops were involved with my son's prolapse rectum. They knew about the surgeries. They knew about everything. And they just let this happen. That's why I protest Palatine police as harsh as I do, because they could have stopped this. And they knew about all of, Sasha, uh, all of my daughter's allegations as well. And they could have stopped that, and they didn't. Um, one person in particular, Detective Bice, was put on every single one of my cases. He was even on the case of my son's death. So I immediately went for an emergency motion to get my, my, my daughter out of the care of this man because nobody knew what happened to my son. Nobody could give me any answers. Um, and there was an active DCFS investigation because I'm sure not only I called, I called because I reported that this was most likely neglect, but I'm sure other people as well as hospital personnel also called. Because when there's a dead child, most likely DCFS is called. So I went in front of Judge Cruz, and Judge Cruz was a new judge because Judge Dalton had conveniently recused himself two weeks before my son died, saying that he could no longer be fair to me. I went in before Judge Cruz, did the emergency motion, had all the evidence. Judge Cruz knew my son was dead and still denied me. Not only did he deny me the emergency motion, he denied me parenting time still. So, and at this, at this point, I had no lawyer. Uh, I, I got a lawyer pretty quick after that, and then they, he was willing to give me um, visits at the Barnes & Noble with my mother as a supervisor. And that went on for about a week. And then finally I was able to get two to three days out of the week. And... Um, nobody was giving me any answers. I didn't know what was going on with my son. And then finally I asked for medical records and judge Cruz said, okay, you can have medical records, but Tom has to be the one to send you the medical records, which is ridiculous. I should have been able to get the medical records of my own kids. And again, this is all based on Julie Pearl's report and what she did to corrupt my entire case. And this is the guardian litem. And this is why I am so against GALs for children. Because one, they're just divorce attorneys. Two, their job is to muddy things up to get as much money as possible. And three, this woman is entirely responsible for my son dying. Because she was more focused on making me look bad than actually caring for my kids. So um, this is all going on. And um, again, I got the medical records. I received the medical records through Our Family Wizard. And it turns out, like I said before, my son was hospitalized for a period of two weeks from three different hospitals, and they could not fix his rectum. He was put under fentanyl. He was put under morphine. And we're talking about a child that's not even two yet. 
and they still couldn't fix the rectum. They just kept putting it back into place. There was multiple surgical procedures that were reported, and this situation just could not be fixed until it was finally uh, repaired surgically on the 13th of August. And it's even reported that DCFS had made um, the step-grandmother the legal guardian at the time because there was a case against my ex and his grandfather, which doesn't make any sense because the step-grandmother lived with my ex and his grandfather, which DCFS would have known and the investigator would have known. So there was actually no safety plan. I was completely lied to about that, and Tom knew where my children were that entire time. And another reason I know this is because it's recorded on my transcript. When I went into court, um, there was a pager and the guardian Leiden was trying to say, Julie Pertle was trying to say that there was a DCFS investigation going on and that the kids were still in DCFS custody. And I go, that's just not true. Tom has the pager. That means the kids are downstairs in the daycare. That's where they are. So he has them. She goes, oh, yeah, uh, they were actually just given to him yesterday and completely changes her story and was completely caught in a lie. She also said on court record that Eight mandated reporters contacted DCFS. I'm not a mandated reporter. Mandated reporters are nurses, are therapists, are physicians, are teachers. So eight mandated reporters contacted DCFS in regards to my son. So the fact that, A, the investigation didn't even go on for a full two weeks and that there was hardly any investigation period is absurd. So if I can get off my soapbox here, um, Julie Pirtle, she finally said that she had had enough. And two weeks after my son passed, she requested an emergency removal from the case. And that was because I was really digging on her. I had discovered that she had many connections in the Elgin Police Department, actually with the uh, chief deputy. She was, she, her aunt was neighbors with the chief deputy of the Elgin Police Department. She also, the domestic violence um, head of the Elgin Police Department, who is a male, uh, she represented him in court as his divorce attorney. So she had all these connections in the Elgin Police Department, which were two major cases, the rape as well as the child pornography. And I called her out on it publicly in, on court record. And right after that was when she wanted to get out of the case. Wow, you have done an amazing job just documenting everything. Oh, I like good I said, I have to. <laughs> yeah. Now, doesn't she say you still owe her $8,000? Yeah. Uh, so it was about, again, two weeks after my son passed, she was still sending me bills. My son had literally just passed. She was completely aware of it. And her firm and her were still sending me bills. And if she thinks she's getting paid anything, she's sorely mistaken. Because not only um, does, uh, do I blame her, but my ex's own attorney blames her for every single thing that happened and why the kids were taken away from me. My ex's attorney even said directly to me that he never thought that I was a danger to my kids, and that was all her doing. So she was going in everyone's ear, basically, putting across this narrative 
that I was a danger to my children when I never was. And every single thing that happened to my son could have been prevented. Now I have 50-50 custody of my daughter, and the only reason I have 50-50 custody is because um, I, was post- I was posting everything online. Because I was posting everything online, they did a gag order back in September of last year that they never even brought up or used against me until just recently when I was posting everything coming about what really happened to my son. Because what really happened to my son was he passed from a cervical spinal cord injury, which is well documented and was put in the um, Palatine patch as well as the journal and topics, which are local to Palatine uh, journalism. And anyway, so I went into court. Go on. I was going to say with this attorney, did you sign a retainer? And you were promised services? Oh, yeah, Uh, I signed, all I signed, though, was that I would give her the $750, which I did. I paid $750. I never agreed to pay her anything further. So she is not owed any money. Right. There you go. Um, And not only that, whatever you paid her, since she failed to represent you and then begged to be let out and off, she should have refunded your money. And I would file a cross complaint asking for those $750 back. Um, she didn't do keep her end of the contract. That was a contract between you and her, and she failed on her end of the contract. She needs to refund your money to you instead of demanding that you pay her more money. Um, and did they send you a detailed report of what these $8,000 were for? Most of it was phone calls from what I could see and her oh, speaking for God's with sake. witnesses and her <laughs> talking to police officers, which I'm sorry, why are you talking, like I said, that's very, I have an issue with that. I have an issue with you talking yes. to police officers while there's two ongoing investigations, especially when you're connected right. to the police department. Right. And you've already put out well, this super biased narrative against me. Well, I would ask her also um, how she expected to do anything for you if she did not expect it, that phone calls and meetings would be a part of that. What what was she going to provide to you that would not include that? Um, because this thing of getting charged for phone calls and emails and everything, how do you expect to do business? And this is part of your business. How do you expect to do business if you aren't doing these things? And I, uh, I think this thing of letting these attorneys off after they've charged thousands of dollars and failed to represent, refused to represent, and bailed out like this one did, Uh, That money should be returned to you. They broke the contract. Give back the money. And uh, but they never do, of course. But anyway, uh, one of the things that strikes me in this is all these connections to this police department. And now, Carrie, you said that, you know, you've demanded an investigation. You've tried to get them to do everything to get them to do an investigation. And what are their reasons for not doing it? Or do they give you any? Yeah, they did give me one. they gave me a reason. Basically, the issue here is that the Cook County Medical Examiner's Office saying that it's natural and unexplained, which they had a fellow who was no longer working there anymore, and uh, his name was John Walsh. And I had recorded phone uh-huh. calls with him admitting that he did not even know the proper um, protocol or anything, uh, that he kept the... Um, 
heart and the brain without even letting me know when my forensic pathologist was supposed to get the heart, brain, and all the neck organs. And I have him admitting on a recorded call that uh, he actually said they put the neck organs back. I was like, no, you guys didn't put the neck organs back. They're not there. My forensic pathologist even made me know, you know, made me know that they're not there. And he goes, oh, uh, yeah. And he's like stuttered. And he goes, oh, yeah, we, uh, we took him for um, a respiratory disorder to see if he had a respiratory illness, which they wouldn't have done that. They would have just done a culture. <laughs> yeah. And they took the hyoid right. bone. They took the esophagus. They took all of these vital organs. Right. And um, so anyways, the issue here is that they're going off of his report when he's a fellow, he's not even qualified, he's not even a real forensic pathologist instead of my forensic pathologist, which is why there's currently a fight right now to get a review. Because uh-huh. if the Cook County reviews this, which I'm used to trying to go through my attorneys to get this done, if they review it and then they use my forensic pathologist's evidence, which is that it was accidental in a cervical spinal cord injury, then that could get the investigation opened up and that would cause um, there to be an investigation regarding neglect because when there's a cervical spinal cord injury, the main causes of that would be um, a unreported car accident, an unreported fall, or a sports injury. Well, we know it's not a sports injury because my son was two. We know that it's not an unreported car accident because it's not even in the police report. So if it is if it right. is a car accident, then that would be neglect because it's not reported. If it was a fall, that's not in the police report either. So, again, that would be neglect. And then there, you also have the um, possibility of child abuse because what uh-huh. she had stated in her report was that homicide was less likely, not that it was completely off the table just that it was less likely. And in her professional opinion, she was uh, leaning more towards accidental, which is why further investigation needs to be done because if the police (laughs) Mm -hmm. had done their job in the first place and did a DNA analysis and made sure that they weren't just questioning Tom and his family and then calling it a wrap, that uh, there would have been a proper investigation done. And there wasn't. Basically, everyone had this bias because of what this guardian litem did, because she was also meddling in the Palatine police um, investigations that were involving my son and daughter, you know, whispering in people's ear and spreading the narrative that I'm crazy, I'm not to be listened to, etc. And she just made everything so complex and difficult and confusing, which is why there's this headache now. Yeah. Wow, Jesus. This is just... Uh, that Cook County whore, whore, courthouse, almost called it a whorehouse, um, uh. <laughs> when I was first involved in all of these things, the Cook County courthouse came up quite a bit. The sixth floor called the Little Shop of Horrors, and that's where all the probate family court uh, nightmares take place. So to hear that this judge from this courthouse acted in the way he did, that things were done the way they were done, doesn't surprise me a bit. People have been complaining about the corruption and just the wholesale uh, ignorance of the law that goes on in that courthouse. It still has a terrible, terrible conversation. And uh, well, this was the I, I just, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But like I say, Cook County, I uh, just this is just 
it seems like Illinois is particularly um, the level of corruption regarding just across the board is just terrible. Always has been, and I I don't know why it's that way. I came from the Upper Midwest there, and uh, Chicago has always been notorious that area, uh, Cook County, King County, all that uh, for just lawlessness. Um, and your your ex, Kara, I'm curious. What's his response to all of this? To his child dying, and what is he? He refuses to admit any fault. Um, he calls my uh, forensic pathologist report a sideshow, and uh, uh-huh. he and basically that uh, he continues to say that I'm delusional. He continues to say uh, that all the DCFS reports were false and so on and so forth. And I'm like, look, if I was that delusional and if I was that crazy, I highly doubt the court would give me all my medical rights back of my child, all my educational rights back of my child, and allow me 50-50 custody of my child. Yeah. And and I highly mm, doubt mm-hmm. that a judge who was elected to be a, a family court judge would have been booted out due to my case. And I highly doubt a guardian ad litem who has a very wealthy and connected law enforcement uh, family would be not allowed to be a GAL anymore. And I highly doubt uh. that a, a police um, commander who was about to be a chief, his father was a chief, would just suddenly retire after holding after I yeah. had two protests. So you have all these people falling, and you have all these people going, uh, um, yeah. all these people going down. So wow. if I was that delusional, I don't think that would happen. <laughs> I don't you, either, sweetie. Run, I don't either. Yeah, no, you seem like wow. You were just like on the ball, and then this, and this date, and you just told the story just from beginning to end, and it just made sense. What I want to know is this guardian, Julie, do you know about any other children that she's guardian of, and how did that work out for them, if so? So there's always a pattern. In fact, I was reading through her reviews. Um, So she's part Mm -hmm. of a law firm called Poochie Pertle, and it's her and her business partner. And besides that, she also owns a salon and some other stuff. She's a trust fund kid. She comes from a very, very rich family. Uh-huh. And this was actually her first ever guardian litem case, which is very bizarre uh-huh. that you would put such a newbie on such a high conflict case. Yes. Wow. Um. Oh. Mm. And you don't know where she's at now. I, you I said mean, she I went to work for a, with another law firm. But... Fertile law firm. No, she's still with that law firm, and I know she does okay. real estate. Her main focus is real estate. Okay. okay. She was just awful. She's one of the worst human beings that I've ever met, and she had, she really had some gall to send me a bill after my son died. There was no <laughs> oh, yeah. Nothing. Yeah. But they, they'll well, do it all the time. So, I mean, they, 
Go ahead. Yeah, we've done shows where the guardians seem to be, you know, sociopaths, and they're getting off on, on this sort of behavior and enjoy watching the hurt that they inflict on others. Yes. I mean, we don't know. I mean, it's just that she seemed to be so interested in painting other people as having, you know, issues. Maybe it was her. I, I mean, yes. it just sounds so sociopath that she just would. And then to send a bill after is disgusting. Right. It's absolutely disgusting. And to actually yeah. be comfortable with my son having his rectum put back in place with someone who she knows has child porn, who he admitted, he literally admitted the hard drive was solely his. So anything oh, on right. that hard he's drive, jail. he's responsible for. Yeah, well, why is he not in jail just for that? The three images, like I said, he claimed that someone else downloaded the images. And the other oh. thing was the three nude images that they found uh, were from 2011. All the other images were wow. recent, but because they weren't fully nude and they were just prepubescent kids in their underwear, they're not considered child pornography, which in my oh. opinion they should. Because if you have over 700 yes. kids in just their underwear, like what are you doing? And that's yeah, highly concerning. It's very concerning. You know, early on in your interview, you talked about him claiming that he told you he was bipolar and had all these mental disorders, which obviously he's got some. But so that he told you that so he could continue to sexually assault you. This is a rapist. Um, yeah. He was raping you to keep himself out of jail, uh, to keep from hitting the street. So he was, I have no doubt, creating situations where, you know, he got angry and basically abused you. And uh, But it was all a put-up thing. And I'm sorry, but any police officer in this country would hear him say that and would know immediately they've got a rapist on their hands. And just because you were his wife doesn't make it any less rape. Oh, and never that he's wife. admitted to doing this. Oh, you were never his wife. Okay. No. Well, you were his partner, weren't you? Yeah. Yeah, I was his partner, but okay. I was not his wife. I never got married to him. Thank yeah, God. well, either <laughs> we, um, either way, uh, you know, it's a, it's the same situation lacking a piece of paper, but it's still rape. And you've got this man admitting he does this. Um, so how many other women did he rape that you don't know about? Because I can guarantee you, if he was doing this, he was doing it to other women, too, and just wasn't caught. And he's probably doing it now. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? He's continued that practice. Um, This is just, I would be scared to death for your daughter to be anywhere near him. And the the grandfather you spoke about. Yes, I know you are. Uh, The grandfather, did you ever confront him? No, I never confronted him. Yeah, okay. Okay. And uh, I don't know. I I can understand that because I'm always telling my girls, pick your battles. (laughs) You know, don't let everything be a battle. And you can only handle so much. The family court system Mm -hmm. works, and I just really want to put this out here because it's so important, is when anyone alleges abuse of a child, whether it's physical or sexual, they automatically bring these people in to do what they consider an investigation. And all these uh-huh. people are are just divorce attorneys who are easily bought off. 
And, and right. the, the only thing you have to do to be a guardian litem for a child is go to a class that's a half a day long. That's it. Oh. Wow. Oh. Wow. Like, you think you'd have to be at least, like, a child psychologist or something. No. Yeah. They have absolutely wow. no background at all in children. It's just law. It's just an extra that, attorney. Just, that's all it is. So would you say, I mean, this is, it, obviously it's always lawyers and somehow they're making money. This looks like it's going to be something new that they're going to, okay, we've made a left money on the elderly. This is a new thing. Make more money. It's super disgusting. Yeah. And it's very eye-opening. You can, yeah, they make a lot on. of money doing it. And what really is messed up is the only way these guardian items are able to do these cases is because they're appointed by the judge. The judge. So the guardian yep, yep. item is going to do everything to make that judge happy so they keep mm-hmm. getting appointed because otherwise yes. they won't wow. have work. So you don't yes. even know if it's necessarily what they're doing or if it's coming directly from the judge what they want them to do. Exactly. Wow. Now, how, how I always say, you know, we got to follow the money. So it sounds like it wasn't that you had a lot of money, but there was still a lot of money involved. And you know where all the money came because they had to be getting paid, not just from you. There had to be other government monies or something <clears throat> that was going into their pocket to make this worth their while. Have you, have you figured any of that out? Well, Julie Pirtle literally admitted that she was not being paid by my ex, that she was being paid by the godfather of my daughter. And the godfather of my daughter has an extremely wealthy father with an extremely well-connected, wealthy business in Wisconsin. You might know it, Kaz, because you're from Wisconsin. Have you heard of Maple Ridge Farms? Maple Ridge Farms? Yeah. Where uh, we're in Wisconsin. I don't think I have heard of it. Wausau? There's so many farms up here. Okay, so I'm about I'm about two hours from Wassa. Wow. It's extremely it's yeah, it's a very wealthy company and they do all sorts of gift baskets for politicians and big businesses and they make a ton of money. Oh interesting. So, so she's told me she was being paid by the godfather. And she said this in front of a witness, too. And then she goes, but it's not illegal. <laughs> really? I didn't realize buying stuff at this, the gift basket store. I wonder if, I wonder if Judge Ott shops there. Well, this is, <laughs> this is a, very in, a very interesting twist. The gift, you know, I found the, um, I found the Judge Ott ringtone, and I found the eBay store one time, and I have it all screenshot. It's like, and the, at the at the eBay store, it was you bought it was a snapshot of Judge Ott. It was fourteen dollars a picture. Was, oh my God! So someone was just like, oh, I'm gonna go buy a thousand pictures for fourteen dollars. Yeah, like how you know you always think how are they shuffling the money around? And now it's gift baskets, right under my nose. Uh-huh. There. Wow. There there's the, yeah, there's, there it's go. always about the money because they're sociopaths. They're disgusting. She probably got off when she sent that bill to you. She got some sick jollies out of it and then also getting paid in her different ways. 
It's, yeah. Wow. I mean, Kara, at least you stopped her. The, she had one, and you stopped her. And you've probably saved some children's lives because you have been so outgoing and vocal about the whole matter. Well, I have to be. Wow. I mean, there hasn't been one person who has really advocated for my son. Everybody just wanted to sweep it under the bus. Everybody just wanted oh, to be wow. okay with this being a sudden, unexplained death in a child. And I was always like, that's not even plausible. And it doesn't even make any sense. And he was too old for SIDS. And they were originally going with SIDS. And then they went with sudden, unexplained death in child syndrome, which literally happens to, like, one in every one million child. And my son never showed Uh. any signs of seizures or whatnot, which is now what they're trying to say is that, oh, it could be a seizure disorder. Uh. Oh, it could be a heart condition. My son never had any of those issues. Just like my son never had his rectum prolapsing until he had, um, he had to be with his, um, with his, with his father. His father. Well, and on that. Child pornography. That, that <laughs> on the uh, <clears throat> autopsies also saying, well, he could have had this, and he could have. You did an autopsy; you know exactly what he had and what he didn't. And if you don't know, yeah. you weren't doing your job. And uh, but they know exactly, and they know what yeah. they said was BS. Yeah. One of the biggest problems, and what they're being called on right now, is that they missed a significant spinal cord injury, which was the swelling uh-huh. of his spinal cord. Which oh, there's no oh way that that could have been missed. And it was from C3 right. to C7, which is his entire neck, basically, where there was swelling of the right. spinal cord. Oh, so basically what happened and how he passed was there was trauma caused to his spinal cord. Now, whether that was the unreported car accident, unreported fall, or, you know, child abuse, we don't know. But we do know that there was trauma caused to his spinal cord, which is why he... Um, it, it hemorrhaged, and when it hemorrhaged, that blood went into the lungs, and then he started um, turning blue because of the epoxia, and then that swelling went right. to his brain, which became brain death, and that was how he passed. Oh, the other God. thing was the, the John Walsh, who was the one who did the autopsy, literally told me on the phone that the EMS report and his previous medical records, which was very extensive, didn't matter. And the EMS report talked about how he was foaming from the mouth repeatedly oh. and his nose and that there was mm. blood in the foam, which is actually present in a spinal cord injury. And that's something that's pretty yes. widely known that that happens oh, when there's that kind of injury. So I don't believe uh, for one second that they just <clears throat> missed that. I think that yeah. it's convenient yeah. to say they missed it. Because oh, look absolutely. at all the people involved. You've got a judge who's about to lose his entire career. You've got another judge who's pretty, who's all set for a reelection. You've got Julie Pirtle who's connected to the super political, wealthy, and powerful family. Oh, one of the other things I didn't mention, Julie Pirtle's father lives right next to Judge Dalton. And Julie oh. Pirtle's father was well into politics. So... That wow, also wow. was something I exposed. Um, but wow. I mean, it just had so many people who would have everything to lose if 
anything but a natural death came out of this. Yeah. Wow. And I bet you they, they didn't take, they didn't and they bet you they didn't think that you were going to keep coming after them. They probably thought, "Okay, well now let's just wipe Kara <laughs> under the carpet too." I have I have an idea. So there is, you know, here I I live right here in Madison, Wisconsin, and there was a murder. I'm waiting for the trial to come and there's some guardianship involved. It's in Min- Mineral Point. We've talked about it. Um the child um was you know, m- murdered or died like two years ago. It was a 14-year-old. But there is a professor at the UW, and he is one of the world-round, he's like, he's like a, um, I don't know what the, his actual title is, but he's a coroner, and he gets called in to some of the top cases around the world. And he Dr. ended Michael up doing, Madden? I don't remember the name, but he ended up doing, I've seen him on television because they ended up having him um, do the the girl. Her name is Sayla Caden. They had him do the autopsy on her there, and she's in Mineral Point, which is going to be about an hour, hour and a half drive from Madison. So they and it's a different county, but he ended up going and doing that autopsy, and then he testified. And I don't know if this is something because it's UW, it's a college, you know, it's a state college. If you could petition somehow to have him look at the, at the paperwork. Sure. I, yeah, I don't, I think you know, I don't Dr. know. Michael Batting because he's the one who's very famous and well-known and who did the George Floyd case. Okay. Is he out of um, UW Madison? I can't this say guy, but he. Yeah, brilliant. This, this, yeah, I but I wonder because this because Madison wouldn't be that. I mean, it's four hours from Minneapolis. This guy, I've heard that he's gone to different countries to do autopsies. He's 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 like one of the top. So I probably they probably had him drive up four hours to go up there to Minneapolis. But he also did this case in Mineral Point. But I wonder if you could get it over to him if he would look at it because whose heart isn't broken right now? to hear what was done to a two-year-old boy. And, yeah. you know. And, and this, the, the step-grandmother who was there with him whenever what happened happened, and this woman is not, she I'm sorry, this is just. Uh huh. The, the problem with her finding him, though, is if, you know, is that he was placed, uh, he was on the bed when he was found. If he passed yeah. from a cervical spinal cord injury, which he did, there is no way that he would have been found on the bed. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. There would have exactly. been, you know, that. Exactly. If they were hard, she should have found him on the floor. Him. Yeah. Tom oh. was with him at 9.45. The paramedics got there at 10.30 claims that he was on his he was going to work but I find it very odd that you have a 945 to 1030 window and you left at uh-huh. 945 yes. and you claim everything was fine with my son wow wow there's just too many Kara there's just too many holes mm-hmm. in this too much that should mm-hmm. have been done wasn't done um, somebody's walking around out there that should be in prison and uh, mm-hmm. and I think maybe a couple of people along with him. Um, there's just this is 
there's no investigation here. There's no nothing. There's nothing that should have transpired behind this. Yeah. Nothing has been done. The lack of DNA evidence is what drives me up a wall. It's like, how could you see this scene and not do a DNA analysis? And it was not even 24 hours later that the Palatine Police Department put out a press release saying that there was no foul play. You find a dead two-year-old in a bed in a home where you know that there's been allegations of abuse and there's been ongoing DCFS investigations and you say no foul play, not even 24 hours later. Yeah, Yeah, that is. Oh, my God. And I bet they thought that and shut it all down and they'd never hear another word about it again. Uh, Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. I just, you know, I don't know. There, Go ahead. There was one thing that I was telling Kara that I really noticed about most of our guests that we have, Marty, we're dealing with adult guardianship, and so it's usually the adult children. So we're dealing with people 40, 50, and 60 years old that are talking about, you know, this has happened to my parents. Parents are older. And here we have Kara, who's just 25 years old, and it's been a child in guardianship, and it's a totally yes. different ballgame. Like all of a sudden, you know, it's a totally it's another generation. So they've they've gone yes. after the greatest generation, and now the guardians are going after the millennials and their children. Yes. Well, and that's a, that's been a big thing across the country. We are our CPS in this country is regarded globally as the biggest child trafficking ring on the planet. And I notice across yeah. the states they're starting to really crack down on them. That well, thank you so much. Um, but and then they say that of the eight hundred thousand kids a year that are taken from families, less than a third of them is there re- any evidence of wrongdoing? Uh, but there's money to be made in foster care and forced adoptions. And uh, but this is a whole entirely different thing. Kara, usually what we see. What we deal with is that something like this has happened to an elderly person, um, mm-hmm. somebody just like your baby, defenseless, and um, taken advantage of by people who are quite sick. And like I say, that again, and we run into this with them also, is that there's no real investigation. Everybody's working together, covering everybody's behinds. And you, it's like breaking down this wall to get anything done. But this even goes beyond. I mean, this is such. My God, how are, how do these people explain not even having conducted an actual investigation, or waited for the autopsy, or reviewed it, or you know, to do anything? And then you say, you know, within this short window of time, announce that your baby has passed, and uh, but it's you know nothing to worry about. Uh, oh God, this just gives me chills. Mm-hmm. And this, and what other bothers me too is them telling you when you, anytime you come across something like that computer that could be possible evidence, don't touch it. It's tainted, and if you do, and they can't use it as evidence. And that woman on that phone from that police department telling you to bring that hard drive in, it, she knew exactly what she was doing. She knew if you did that, and they didn't come out and do a, an investigation showing where it was found, taking pictures of it in its you know found location, 
blah, 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 documenting it, taking it in, into the chain of custody so that they can follow it from where it was found into evidence to make sure it's not contaminated and hasn't been tampered with. That woman told you something she knew would relegate that hard drive to the trash bin. Uh, that's, I think there's way, there's a bigger story here than any of us I actually realize at the moment. Because no I officer think, of the law would have told you to pick that up and bring it in. I think Kara uncovered a huge racket that was that's really racketeering, yes. and she just mm-hmm. she just got a little wedge in there, and I bet yeah. you they're scared. Yeah, and it was just happened. <laughs> I I just think it's happenstance. I think like with us, you know, in the odd holes, the odd holes were you know they're doing their crimes and they still are doing their crimes for twenty some years, and it wasn't until a few of mm-hmm. us started finding each other that that little wedge got in there and to see so much orchestration between judges and attorneys and the, you know, the police department, they've been doing a lot of stuff and you just caught them. Yep. Exactly. Uh, We've only got about four minutes left here, girls. Uh, Kara, I would like you to come back on again. I would like to follow up with you to see where you're at on this, even if you can only come on for, you know, 15 minutes or something, just to update us on what's happening. Is there anything you, at all we can do for you to help you? Um, just uh, follow the page. Let everyone know about Justice for James. Let everyone know what's going on and how there's been little to no investigation and um, that something has to be done. Yes. And uh, honestly, I've I've done uh, like everything I can even think of doing, and uh, it just doesn't never yeah. seems to be enough. <laughs> yeah, uh, listening to you talk, you've done far more than most people would know to do, you know, yeah. or to follow up on. Uh, yeah. This is just, I'm so sorry this happened to you and your family. I truly am. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. Well, like I say, we're going to want to follow up with you, and um, I, if I was you, I would send this link out to your state legislators and um, let them listen to your story, maybe get a little notice there. And uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. We'll have to sit and think about this cause and see how we can spread the word on this and maybe get some attention that needs to be gotten. Uh, Karen, maybe there's a second panel. Maybe you have yes. two. Now you need a second panel, two topics. I don't think yeah. anyone else has this they, topic. Well, no, they don't allow two topics on two panels on the same topic. Uh, but okay. you know, maybe we could do a family court thing. Okay, but uh, it's okay. something to think about. I'll tell you. But, yeah, uh, we're at the end of our time here, folks. I want to thank you again for tuning in, all of you. And I say we have a huge audience going on here. Um, Thank you for listening in. This is an important story, and she needs all the help and support she can get right now. So if there's anything you can do to help, please step forward. Um, Go to her page, Justice for James, and offer your support, if nothing else. Please at least do that. I want to remind everyone these shows are brought to you in coordination with Marcel Reed and the Whistleblower Summit taking place annually in Washington, D.C., and hopefully this next year. If they don't kill us all, we'll um, be back in D.C., but we'll just have to see what happens. 
Anyway, everyone have a good evening. Again, thank you for all of you who tuned in tonight. I do appreciate it. So does Cause, don't you, Cause? Oh, yes, I do. Thank you so much. And thank you, Karen, yes. for coming on tonight. Yes. I know this is hard. I really appreciate it. Well, we'll be visiting with you again, sweetie. So just hang in yeah. there. And if there's anything we can do to help, let us know, okay? Okay, thank you. All right. Uh, with that, we're going to say goodnight. Cause thanks for being here again tonight. And, oh, uh, thank you. We will be back yeah, I always think of donuts when I think of you. But anyway, um, <laughs> we'll be back Sunday night with Tanya Talks. And, boy, that's blowing up. They have exposed the prison system down there to such an extent that the Department of Corrections took their page down. Uh, yippee. <laughs> but we will, yeah. we will be talking that Sunday night. Everybody, thank you again. And we'll be back next week with another show of In the Mix. Good night, everyone. Good night.